Good evening and welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast, brought to you by the Freedom's Path Recovery Society. We are not affiliated with any 12-step fellowship, nor do we wish to propose only one solution. We understand how different solutions can greatly increase an individual's chance of survival. We hope to illuminate some of the recovery process by sharing as many human stories as we can. Why, you might ask, to show that we can and do build stable lives from a former state of chaos, desperation, and hopelessness. Our stories become our strength. Please remember that any and all opinions shared and heard are those of the individuals and not a reflection of Freedom's Path Recovery Society or any other entity. So regardless of how crappy or wonderful our opinions might be to you, they still remain opinions, nothing more. You might hear swearing adult themes and situations, as well as the tragedies humans face and walk through every day. It is not suitable for children unless they are accompanied by a parent or guardian or have the explicit permission of those individuals. For sure. So, Jeff, welcome. Um, just interested to hear your story, man. Tell us what awesome. your life's like. Yeah. Well, I'm here today. <laughs> yeah, you are. Part of the Fucked Up Club. Is that still a thing? That's still a thing, yes. Yeah. It is, uh, I don't know, about nine, ten years ago I started saying that. I'm a member of the Fucked Up Club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and still, <laughs> but you know, not as fucked up as what I used to be. Well, that's for sure. So, it took a lot of effort and a lot of um, help from a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. Because in the beginning I started looking uh, here, there, everywhere, you know. And it, and it hasn't been just in the last say 13, 14 years since, mm. since my arrival here in Calgary. Mm -hmm. I've been at this a long, long time, yeah. wanting to see why I was so nutty and, um, you know, the alcohol, the drugs, what I was fighting, what I'm trying to hide, you mm. know, and what, uh, what I'm trying to bury. Uh, today I have a good understanding of Jeff. You know, it took a lot of soul-searching. You know, I'd say I went the most craziest in recovery, mm -hmm. the insane, uh, you know, all between the years. Mm -hmm. And um, so my journey, I was born in a little small town in Manitoba uh, in 1965. You know, I had alcoholic parents. At the time of their passing, both my parents were sober over a couple decades. My yeah. dad about 24 years, <clears throat> my mom about 22 years. Mm -hmm. They passed away uh, 20 years ago in 1999. Um, six months apart, hmm. just from, I would assume, like from my dad, uh, he was the type of person to not go to the hospital for little pains and aches. And I think if he would have went, he would have got a proper diagnosis as to... But that would be, I would attribute part of it to uh, living the sedentary lifestyle, the mm -hmm. alcohol and uh, smoking. Uh, my mother, too, she was, uh, you know, along with the alcohol and the smoking and her own medical conditions, she had. Uh, so I'm fortunate to have had alcoholic parents, I guess. I'm... Uh, Second youngest out of 11. 11? 11. 11 kids. Uh, Holy shit, dude. Yeah. 
I had nothing to do with it. Yeah, yeah. Second youngest. Okay. I'm sorry, I'm doing math, man. That's a lot of kids. That's 11 kids. Um, I've got, uh, I don't know, I've lost track of all my nephews and nieces, uh, the great nephews and nieces, and the great great nephews and nieces. Wow. It has to be. How old are you, dude? It has to be close to 150. Really? Uh, 150, 155 yeah. souls underneath my mom and dad. Holy crap, man. Yeah, I'm 54. 54, eh? And uh, my younger brother would be 49, five years younger. Mm-hmm. So I can always tell my three brothers apart, like their Linus is 49, mm-hmm. Dennis is 59, and Clarence would have been 69. Mm-hmm. He too passed away a long time ago. Um, he was always like uh, into the alcohol and his health dwindled and he had all the complications that come with drinking, mm. heavy duty drinking. Yeah, he had passed away in 1994. He was one of my heroes, um, you know, growing up. I looked up to him. He was kind of like the savior, like who would come and rescue us from my dad. Mm, okay. And because he was... Uh, my oldest brother, and he was kind of tough, you know, my, and he was of age already at that time, 1920, like he could get my dad to settle down when my dad was in his Mm -hmm. drinking rampages and stuff like that. So anyway, let's get back to being born (laughs) April, (laughs) April, 1965. Um, yeah, I was born April 23rd. I just had my birthday. Yeah? Yeah. 54. Nice. And, um, I'm perfectly in health. Mm-hmm. I got a great inside, a non-smoker, non-drinker. Um, haven't done drugs in a long time. Um, what else can I tell you? Did or, I say second youngest? <laughs> yeah, you said second youngest. Where, so you're, are you from Alberta or are you from somewhere else? I'm originally from Manitoba. From Manitoba? Yes. Uh, I was born Métis, which is uh, a French native mix. Mm-hmm. I've got a rich history now that I look back on it and I'm a little bit more, got the information and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, I'd be interested to hear about it. If you're... Um, yeah. Like... Uh, my whole family, my relatives are all uh, part of that uh, Métis Rebellion in the late 1800s. Mm-hmm. My great-great-uncle through marriage is uh, Louis Rael. Mm. Um, my great-great-grandfather is uh, on the same headstone as him in uh, the cemetery in St. Boniface in Winnipeg. Wow. Yes, so, yeah, putting that aside... Uh, you know, I, with getting back to the drinking, the drugging, I started drinking at an early age. You know, stealing sips here and there uh, growing up as a kid. and um, I started smoking pot when I was 11, started drinking alcohol when I was 12. Um, you know, hanging with my uh, siblings and the friends in our community, we would... Uh, the person who was old enough, 18 years, would buy a couple Mickeys and we'd buy cans of pop and that's how it started. We'd go kind of like half and half, you know, spill out the Coke and fill it up with uh, rye. And then, um, 
you know, we moved from a small town in 1980. We moved to a bigger town called Swan River. Mm. And, you know, already I didn't fit in. I was uh, just out of place being in a bigger school. More kids, more strangers. Uh, so... Uh, Instead of going to school, I would usually go hit the highway and hitchhike back to my hometown of Pine River. Eventually, my mom just said, you know, stay over there. And I tried to work at that age and stuff like that. Uh, had several jobs working in the bush. Um, tough work. And then uh, my drinking started to get me into trouble. I was uh, breaking the law, you know, having to finance the drinking and the drugging. And then slowly getting caught and having to spend uh, time in jail. First, it was the uh, youth center. Then uh, from the youth center, it progressed to uh, adult jails. Because I had so many criminal charges, I wasn't uh, juvenile material. <laughs> so I was raised to adult court uh, on two occasions. Mm. And... Um, it was the second time I was in uh, adult jails that uh, a couple women from AA in the Paw, Manitoba, used to come visit me. Eventually, I got out of jail. Then I turned 18, and um, I ended up going back to Swan River. You know, my parents could see the trouble I was in, and my mom made arrangements to go to uh, Rosaire House treatment center mm. in the paw in 1983 so that would have been may of 83 i got out early june and lived in the paw manitoba for a couple months uh, attended meetings worked the program again still not fitting in with aa because uh, to me everybody was old older white hair you know long-term sobriety mm. Yeah, so I went home, started drinking again, and within a short period of time, back in trouble, back in jail, mm. sentenced to a long time. That went on for several years, um, in and out, in and out, drinking, drugging, trouble, more trouble. So yeah, that went on for a long time, and I don't know, it's, I never really thought about what I was going to be saying, you know. <laughs> Months ago, it was yeah. like, sure, I'll do it. But um, Like I said, I've been at this a long time trying to figure out what makes me tick. Mm -hmm. And um, today, I feel pretty good. Things don't always go my way, but I feel pretty good, like, mm -hmm. pretty optimistic about, you know, it may not happen this week, like with work and things like that, mm -hmm. but soon yeah. I'll be getting a job and... I've often noticed, too, that when I sh I'm asked to share in meetings and mm. things like that, my train of thought, I jump around from topic yeah. to topic, and then I eventually I make my way back to the original one, and mm -hmm. it's a pattern. That's all good, though. <laughs> it's because you're not thinking linearly, uh, linearly, right? Linearly. Yeah. Okay. You're yeah. thinking more abstract because you're able to go from one place to another with yeah. a specific sequence. <laughs> yeah. Try to say that 10 times fast. So, yeah, the thing about the Paw Manitoba was, uh, you know, my, my first time that I was there, I did the first nine steps in three weeks. Mm. And, you know, the 
when I did my step five with the priest, like I was so elated, you know, like I, I walked around smiling the whole day. It was mm -hmm. such a good feeling to have uh, left a lot of that stuff behind, mm -hmm. you know. And then, um, you know, I don't know why I didn't stick with it. Who knows, mm -hmm. right? But I'm not going to be banging my head over that thought and on the walls or whatever, but it was the start. Mm -hmm. That was 1983, and uh, once again in 1993, I ended up in the same treatment center, drinking and drugging and uh, womanizing. Got into trouble, and while I was while the police were searching for me, I ended up checking into the treatment center, and that's one of the last places you'd ever look for somebody on the run. <laughs> Fair enough. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Did another three weeks in the Rosario House. And, you know, but never stayed sober for very long. I've often said if I would have stayed in Manitoba, I wouldn't have been sober at all. I've The choices that I'd be at would be very limited. I'd be dead. <clears throat> Or I'd be doing life in jail, mm. contemplating killing myself, you know, probably, more than likely. Because a lot of those suicidal thoughts, they began in the early 80s of being locked up mm. in jail. And, uh, you know, the psychosis that goes along with uh, growing up in adult institutions. Mm. You know, I had troubles too growing up, just like everybody else. Like as I said, my parents were alcoholics. My dad was mean and mm. vicious, and uh, you know, if one child got got into trouble, you know, two or three got the stick at the same time, and having to go pick your pick your stick out of the break it off the <laughs> from the bush and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Oh, you had to do that. Yeah. Oh man. Well, as a kid, we'd think if it's a smaller stick, it wouldn't hurt as much because the little sticks hurt more, Yeah, you know, or an extension cord or something like that, you know. So, yeah, those are a lot of things that I had to deal with and to, to put to put to sleep, you know, and to not carry these resentments, mm -hmm. uh, to forgive those people who harmed me and things like that. And, you know, my abuses are very similar to a lot of people in AA or NA or CA. Mm. Um, I had to get honest because I wanted to get better. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be, uh, you know, not be so obsessed with wanting to forget the past or to to numb the pain. So it had to be done. And it was a long process and it took a long, long time. I made the geographical change in 2005. I just wanted to get away because I was following the same patterns, you know, and I was uh, I was on my way back to jail for at least a good two years. I decided to leave. Hmm. It's funny, uh, somebody sent me to go buy, so, buy an eight ball down the back alley from where our house was and I bought a bus ticket to Regina. 
you know, it took a while to get here, 37 hours or so, thumbing down the highway uh, after the bus ride. And, uh, just not wanting to look back, you know, being bitter and angry with that lifestyle, the, that province, that city, you know, the people that were in there. And uh, my reason for choosing Calgary was because... Um, I knew I had an auntie and some cousins, mm -hmm. and that was it. I didn't know anybody else. Mm. And uh, I attribute, you know, to myself changing for the better because I didn't ha have contact with family for mm -hmm. such a long time, many years. And I lost total co contact and communication with the people that I associated with. Mm. You know, I had no idea. When I left Winnipeg in July of 05, I had no idea that I would end up sobering up that year. Mm -hmm. By accident, I tell people. By accident, eh? It accidentally happened. Yeah, yeah. how that, that, that work There it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the time I got sober, I thought, you know, well... I really didn't want to waste my money on alcohol when I could smoke crack. Mm -hmm. And so the last time I drank would have been around Halloween of 05. And okay. 10 days later, I went to jail for uh, trying to finance the habit. Mm -hmm. um, I was caught shoplifting and sent to jail for 75 days. So... Um, when I got out of jail July 26th of 06, I just didn't touch alcohol. Because mm. I know what happens every time I touch alcohol. Like I had good intentions, like I'm only going to have two or three beer. Mm. Or we're just going to drink this case of beer. But eventually we'd get another case of beer. And then we're calling dealers at about midnight. And mm. the whole shit show started again. And, you know, I didn't know why. Mm. Um so upon getting out of jail, I was afraid to uh, to drink because I knew what happened. And, you know, thinking that those two times that I was in the treatment center before would be enough to, um, you know, it was just out of stubbornness and willpower that I managed to stay sober for two years. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, everything caught up to me again, the, the resentments, the... The hate, the anger, the, um, the obsessiveness, the unmanageability, um, not playing well with other humans, mm. um, just about going off the deep end once again, you know, suicidal, homicidal. And then, uh, so I decided to, after thinking about it, I thought I better get some help before I get into real trouble before I really go off the deep end. And then I sought out uh, some professional help with uh, Cups. Yeah. And it was one of my first visits to Cups where I found uh, the little white meeting book. Okay. That's got the addresses, uh, the yeah. AA meetings and the addresses. And so I looked through it and, uh, you know, was uh, slowly figuring out what neighborhood and, what area mm -hmm. these meetings were in and started going to meetings 
And um, that would have been uh, in the spring of 2008. Mm -hmm. I really wanted, you know, psychologists, psychiatrists to fix what was in my brain, what was in my head. Mm -hmm. After four to six weeks of uh, talking with the psychiatrist, uh, they wanted to put me on meds. Mm -hmm. And I said no. I don't want meds. Mm -hmm. I want you to fix what's in my head without meds. And mm -hmm. She kind of looked at me like, you're no fun. <laughs> you know, that was that. We went from there. Um, and then got to a point where I, where I needed to do three, four, or five meetings a day, mm -hmm. almost every day for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just, it just felt right because uh, of the deep psychosis that I was in. It became a routine. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, being bitter, angry. I really don't think I started... Sure, I, I was involved in the program and sharing at certain meetings and stuff like that. Uh, but then sometimes in 2008, I started working the steps step one, step two, step three. And then I think it was uh, around Christmas of 2008 that uh, I got step three. And um, I was at a meeting at the Garnet Block on uh, 14th and 14th. And, you know, it really hit home that I made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the Creator. And that's where uh, one of the major changes in wanting to get recovery. Mm -hmm. So I had to keep going forward. Um, uh, I'm lost again. But anyway, um, you know, I still had to keep going forward. 2009... I ended up homeless, living downtown at the Center of Hope for six months, seven months. Mm -hmm. And then I got a, a job at uh, a labor union. And I went from being homeless to taking home $1,200 a week, mm -hmm. which was great. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I got myself off the streets, um, continued to go to meetings, um, Continued with the professional help. You know, I was fortunate at that time to have gotten a union job where, you know, if you're just not cutting it, the you know, depression, the anxiety, the not wanting to be at work, I could call in sick and stay home, you know. You know, back then, the anxiety, the depression, you know, depression, I could really feel it physically. Um, you know, sore joints, sore sore everything, you know, just, uh, you know, when it was time to wake up in the morning, just blah, you know, I can't do it. I don't want to do it. So I'd call in sick and I'd sleep. I'd be getting out of bed right when I was supposed to be getting off of work for certain days. And that went on for a long time. And then, um, you know, continued to uh, work different companies you know back then you could quit a job and you could have a job within five minutes ten minutes you know 
I kind of miss those days. Yeah, I bet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. uh, Calgary's been good to me. You know, it became my new home. I feel very comfortable here. And, uh, you know, I know thousands of people that are in and out of the program. Mm -hmm. Most are in. You know, the people in the program, they became family. They became friends. Um, confidence, like-minded people. So, yeah, it's been good in that sense. So if you're going to pass on a message to somebody who was your age when you were younger or before things went off the rails, like what would you tell people, man? I mean, based on the fact that you've spent, like as you said, you spent like a few years inside the penitentiary and inside jails. Probably about 12 12 total yeah yeah so like what would you say to somebody who's like not quite like there right like how was there would there have been something that could have helped you like circumvent the whole necessity of going to jail like was there back then i was stubborn i was pig-headed i wanted to do what i wanted to do and Mm -hmm. that's what i did uh but you know it's kind of ironic but the people who, ex-cons, ex-offenders, uh, we can really relate to each other. Mm-hmm. You know, having been there, having survived some of the most dangerous jails in mm-hmm. Western Canada, you know, that whole uh, convict mentality. You know, I, I've noticed, like, even in the early 80s, like, people blaming lawyers blaming the judge blaming the crown Mm -hmm. for for getting high amounts of jail time Mm -hmm. not ever once realizing that hey if you didn't break the law Mm -hmm. you wouldn't be going to jail yeah yeah Yeah, it's true (laughs) you know owning it Mm -hmm. so um you know like all the things that were in my life the dishonesty the the drugs the alcohol the lying cheating stealing i had to own that and i had to change it Mm. you know and here today like we're still moving forward Mm. you know I, i i continue to work the steps over and over and sometimes i pick some at random Mm -hmm. i hit meetings i do a lot of meetings when i'm not working um, and then there's times when I go up north and I don't have meetings for four mm-hmm. weeks, six weeks, eight weeks. So, yeah. So, what do you do in, the, in those times when you don't have meetings? You don't have access? I travel with my books. I have yeah. a big book. I got daily reflections, uh, the 12 by 12, which is a great book. Mm-hmm. I read, I reread things. You know, my big book was given to me by a lady from uh, Daily Reflections back in October of 08. Mm-hmm. That's the only markings that are in my big book. Yeah. I don't mark it. There's no pencil. There's no highlighter. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, I don't know why I didn't do it. But later I found out that as I continue to read that book, I change. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't be the same person I was that I underlined something in pencil Mm -hmm. or highlighted something. It's just how I look at it. eh? I don't do big book studies because nobody could study it the way I could study it to myself, Mm -hmm. read it, 
And it didn't come easy. I owned that book for, I don't know, two, three years, even before I started reading certain parts of it that people would suggest in a meeting or something like that, and then yeah. applying it to myself. And then times when I was, uh, you know, emo emotional and mental basket case, I would open the big book at random mm -hmm. and I would read out of that. And I found some pretty, some pretty awesome, powerful things in there mm -hmm. when I was in that state, yeah. which lasts even till today that uh, it gave me some strength. Yeah. Do you have an example? Page 355. What, what is it? It's about, um, it explains uh, alcohol is a twofold disease, an allergy of the body, which we can't really do much about, mm -hmm. and the obsession of the mind. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I wish I could recite it to you word for word, but... I'm not good at that either. It's man. there, yeah. you know, it's yeah. around the second paragraph. And uh, what it states is that you know, we all go through hard times and stuff like that, and we use alcohol and drugs to alleviate the emotional, mental pains mm -hmm. of dealing with life, dealing with people. But eventually alcohol changes into something else. Mm -hmm. Like It's not our friend anymore. It started out as our friend, mm -hmm. and it started out that, uh, yeah, we could drink and drug to alleviate the stress and pressures of life but eventually it turns on us where that's all we want to do mm -hmm. stay drunk and stay high so the way i looked at it is uh, you know it applied to me i could relate to that especially uh, you know with the history that i have spoken about i don't know i'm just lost <laughs> <clears throat> So what are some things that you do today that help you? Obviously, like you you said it, you've spent a good deal of time institutionalized. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you came out of the last time you came out of the institution, like what do you do day to day that helps keep you from going back? One, just not breaking the law. It's a um, good place to start. <laughs> you know, when I got into recovery... It wasn't until I sobered up that I started to look at my body. Mm. Like, what what is uh, causing these mood swings and this insanity? You know, mm. I thought, like, certain foods or uh, not living healthy. I've always done physical things. Mm -hmm. uh, working out, jogging, uh, punching the bag and stuff like that. Working hard. Like some of my earliest jobs were, I was uh, driving tractor for a farmer when I was like 11. I was piling pulp in the bush when I was 12. Funny, at 12 years old, I was six foot already. Mm -hmm. And um, so in sobriety, I had a lot of time. Mm -hmm. So those are a lot of the things that I did was to continue to work out. And uh, I was a tattoo artist for a while, but... Uh, never professionally trained and I could paint pictures at times pencil sketches ink stuff like that and, but you know I never really developed that um, I've always been a musician ever mm -hmm. since I could, was in my early teens I could play guitar and things like that 
and once again not developing those talents mm -hmm. to a professional level i can look back now and look at it as like if i would have succeeded when i was in my early 20s or early 30s i probably would have overdosed on something <laughs> so mm -hmm. you know throughout my life there's always been something watching over me uh protecting me keeping me from out of real bad bad trouble mm. um just developing the sixth sense you know when you know when something is not right yeah especially in the drug and alcohol culture that type of world or that those type of people you know like uh, i don't know this sixth sense has kept me alive so far mm -hmm. um I came to trust on it, trust it, rely upon it. And even today, there's still something that watches out for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I was uh, at the gym earlier and having to, had a talk with some people there. And, you know, everybody is in, going through trouble at one, one way or another. You know, you don't have to be alcoholic or addict to be oh. feeling the pressures of uh, life. Yeah of uh, trying to survive, you know, trying to afford the things that you normally, uh, you know, the, mm -hmm. the type of lifestyles we're accustomed to. Uh, it seems like people want you to work more hours for less money. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, hopefully that changes. It may, it may not, but... I'm going to hold my breath. <laughs> <laughs> I might yeah. have to start busking. <laughs> yeah, well, I think, yeah, I think, like, the majority of us would have to start busking. Like, yeah. do something. Can't play an instrument, but you get less food for the same amount of money, too, right? That's like, true. Everything's been scaled back, and so now it's just, yeah. I, I don't even know what we're getting anymore. That would be something new to me. You know, I was, uh, I could never panhandle or do the busking thing, but I could sure go shoplift. Mm-hmm. Like when, especially when I wanted to get drunk and high. Yeah. And, uh, you know, looking back to shoplifting is an addiction as well. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a sickness, a disease. Yeah. That within itself, you know. I agree because I've, I've heard, uh, I've worked with people who once they sober up from their chemicals, they, they steal. And then they keep stealing until they get caught for stealing. And yeah. And they have to quit stealing because it's actually, it drops chemicals just like another chemical it would, does right? like so, yeah yeah so. how do you find that like have has it been uh like is it easier now to not do it or is it still just as difficult well i just don't do it yeah. um it's tempting like sometimes the thoughts are there just yeah. like uh you know when i first sobered up and got clean like mm -hmm. like how the drinking thoughts are there and the yeah. drugging thoughts are there like you know, just to make bills, pay mm -hmm. bills, make ends meet. Yeah. But in the end, you know, it's kind of like uh, maybe maturing, maybe growing mm -hmm. up a bit. Well, that's good. Um, you can't say you're working on this program and be mm -hmm. sneaking drinks and sneaking joints on the side. You know, or stealing. Or stealing. Yeah. Um, I wish I could say that... Uh, you know, I sobered up first, and then I quit smoking cigarettes, and then I battled my drug habits. Mm. 
So I managed to get some clean and sober time in. And uh, for some reason, you know, got and ended up getting high a few times. And uh, that didn't go over very well. Mm. Um, smoking pot, that didn't go over very well because it doesn't last long until all the problems start to pile up again. Mm. My claim to fame is alcohol and cigarette smoking, you know, that mm. I've managed to stay away from the longest. And I'm in a good place today. Mm-hmm. I may not have all that I need or what I want, but um, it took a long time to get my feet on the ground. Mm. You know, I've managed to find uh, peace of mind, some sanity, some serene times. And to me, that's that's the gold of the program. And like the other things will come when when they're ready, mm-hmm. you know, need to do more work. Um, I don't know, just keep going forward, you know. Yeah. I'm here for a reason, eh? Yeah, well, Still. agreed. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people don't make it to their 50s, you yeah, know. For sure. And it's unfortunate. Uh, you know, I got so tired of seeing uh, week after week uh, somebody not making it, somebody's obituary or their celebration of life is going to happen. And, uh, and we lose a lot, man. A lot. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be getting any better. No, it sure doesn't. But uh, yeah. but all we can do is show up, right? Show up, yeah. And keep keep uh, saying the message. So if you had like, so if you had, uh, <laughs> if you were gonna tell newcomers stuff, what would you tell newcomers who who so who are just sobering up, man? Good luck. Perfect. You know, <laughs> a person has to want it bad enough. Mm-hmm. And you got to make several attempts. Because my history of what I was talking about, like each time I'd go back out, I wouldn't last very long until mm-hmm. I started breaking the law and then ending up in jail for, you know, a long time. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they don't serve booze in jail. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's nice to be able to see people not ride that train right to the very end, to the mm-hmm. bottom, bottom. Yeah. For me, it was a matter of life and death. If I drank, I was going to hurt somebody or I was going to hurt myself. And I know that for a fact because I, I hung around that neighborhood for too long. So I had to get honest. I had to deal with those demons. And I had to go back in time and to figure out when things started to get worse and, uh, you know, who was involved and who, what, when, where, why. Mm -hmm. Totally dismantled as much as what I could possibly remember. Mm -hmm. And I remember a lot, you know, it's like uh, a lot of those abuses and stuff like that. It's just like a DVD that plays inside my brain, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, when that used to go around, so would come the hate and the anger. You know, wanting to pay people back, you know, like, now that I'm bigger, now that I can defend Mm -hmm. myself, like, try it now, like that type of mentality, Mm -hmm. as opposed to wanting to learn from it and to uh, forgive those people. Mm -hmm. 
Um, you know, because I wanted to be forgiven for all the bad things I'd done to people. And it had to start somewhere, either with me forgiving them mm-hmm. and then eventually getting forgiveness for myself. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it just takes time, you know, to be away from certain people and mm-hmm. certain, like my home, I don't go home at all. I haven't been to, well, last time I lived in Swan River was probably in 2002. Mm-hmm. There's nothing there. You know, as I said, my parents passed away in 1999 and uh, a lot of big changes. So, you know, I'm fortunate that I don't uh, travel to Manitoba because it can be a slippery slope. But you have been back there, haven't you? Because I had... In 2015? Yeah, because I just, I, sorry, I was just thinking about it because I, you've always struck me as a guy because every time I bump into you, you're taking accountability from some other part. Somehow, some way. Some some part of your life that you've had to like clean up the wreckage of the past or whatever, and you've yeah. always been willing to do that. Was it 2015 when you went back that there? That was 2015, yeah. And what, motiv- what motivated that? Well... I needed to deal with those outstanding charges that mm-hmm. I had left behind in 2005. So uh, I went to Winnipeg, and upon getting there, I think the same day I got there, I went to legal aid, and mm-hmm. there was nothing they could do for me, but they put me in touch with a Crown attorney. And it took about four, four and a half weeks, five weeks, that I finally got everything resolved. and. Mm-hmm. You know, I stayed out of trouble for such a long time, no charges for such a long time, that uh, they dropped most of the charges. I pled guilty to two charges. Mm-hmm. And I think if I would have stayed there, in 05, I was looking at like two years sitting in jail. Mm-hmm. So when I dealt with those charges, I was expecting to do some jail time, possibly three months to six months. And, uh, you know, I went forward with it and... I got a $350 fine and a one-year conditional sentence to keep the peace and be a good behavior. Yeah. I thought, wow, that's incredible, you know. Of course, I was glad I didn't have to do any more jail time. Mm -hmm. And then, so I showed up back here in Calgary, October of 05, and, you know, again, work was scarce, but eventually I got a job and ended up getting a home again, and getting things happening. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty optimistic. I follow a pattern of, uh, yeah, you know, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, drinking ain't going to solve my problems. Getting high ain't going to mm-hmm. solve my problems. Acting up or acting out isn't going to solve my problems. Mm-hmm. But uh, continuing to do the work, yeah, you know, wanting to stay focused and balanced, you know, because I did recover from being insane, Mm-hmm. You know, I actually in 2008 when I sobered up, I actually wanted to go to the nut ward mm-hmm. because I just didn't trust myself. Yeah. Today, not so. You know, I'd rather not. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, it's, there's better I, places to go. I don't need a bug ward. <laughs> I just go to a meeting. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and that that helps, right? So, but that's one thing I've always noticed about you is you're always willing to take accountability, right, for your yeah. life. So, and I've yet to hear you blame anyone else for your for your. You life. know, that's funny. We should be talking about accountability. I've been 
taking care of my old uh, cell phone bills. <laughs> yeah. I've been paying off Telus and I've got probably Rogers to pay off and Fido. But um, you're tra- you're starting to do it though, right? Yeah. Right on. I'm going on uh, June 7th. I'm taking that impact driver's course to mm-hmm. get my driver's license. Oh, right on. That was an expensive course. They yeah. went like 925. What's it for? What's the course? I had an impaired in 1998. Okay. And I, I'm suspended from driving in the province of Manitoba. Mm-hmm. And uh, they said they don't want to talk to me unless I take that course. Yeah. So years ago, I told them, I've been sober 10, 11 years. Like, I'm not taking that course. They said, well, we don't want to talk to you until you take that course. They yeah. hung up on me. <laughs> <laughs> so... I figured, uh, yeah, it's a good time to take it. And one thing leads to another thing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it absolutely does. Yeah, so I'm working at the uh, driver's license and um, working on my credit rating. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows where I'll go with that, but. Yeah. Cool. Keep well, going it's a much forward. different life, eh? Well, it is. Yeah. I've never lived this type of lifestyle uh, ever or before. Mm. There was always some type of chaos or something going on now that I can look back. But not today, not as much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic, man. I appreciate you coming and doing this, telling your story a bit. Awesome. Yeah, man. I should have made some points. And <laughs> ah, that's okay. I could have followed the... Uh, yeah, because like I said, I jump around all the time. Yeah, that's okay. Dude, I'm not a linear thinker either, so I'm very much nonlinear, as Darcy can tell. Can tell you and other people because I'll just stop. Yeah. And I'll be like, oh, no, I want to think about something else. You know, years ago, we used to always attend that uh, 4 o'clock meeting on Sundays mm-hmm. at Central United. And oh, yeah, that's right. That helped out a lot. Mm-hmm. Those meetings... Uh, you know, we talk about everything, the drugs, uh, the alcohol, the gambling. Mm-hmm. I kind of miss those those meetings. Yeah, but, it was a good uh, meeting, man. It was a beginner's meeting, so it was really, like, raw. Yeah. It was pretty good. And then some somewhere along the line, probably in 2013, it folded. Yeah. And then uh, I know there's been several people trying to get it started again, but... Uh, you know, I guess it served its purpose. Yeah. I mean, that's the way you got to look at everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. Once it's in the past, it's in the past. There's other meetings that uh, yeah. came up and a lot more meetings to go to. Yeah. I think I'm pretty fortunate to, to live in Calgary and, you know, have the opportunity to go to so many different places. Agreed. Yeah. Like I stick to my normal places mm-hmm. and I'm sure there's a lot more places I could go. Yeah. But you know what? That's one, like I said, I'm working on driver's license. Mm-hmm. So, Well, you're just adapting to your circumstances, right? Well, yeah. Plus, yeah. I'm not getting any younger. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, man. You're still looking, you're looking pretty good for 54, buddy. So I would never put you in your 50s. That's what I hear. Yeah. Well, right on. Thanks, Jeff. Awesome. Okay. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. You're welcome. 
We would like to remind you that the opinions shared are those of the individuals and not representative of Freedom's Path Recovery Society or any other affiliation we may share with organizations or individuals. Thank you, Wild Rose United Church, for your open-hearted giving to the community at large in a multitude of ways. You have graciously provided space and love for us to work within, and we cannot thank the staff, volunteers, and members of the church enough for all that they do each and every day. Thank you again, Darcy Robinson. As usual, your work is incredible. Thanks for donating it to us. I am not here without each of our board of directors, Trent Baker, Todd Deere, Christine Pimiskern, Heather Morijo, Wayne Lurie, and John James. To all of the individuals who graciously donate their money and time to helping Freedom's Path become a society and now a charity, thank you. Who is Freedom's Path? We work directly with individuals and families struggling and suffering from, with addiction of all types, mental illness, codependency, and a multitude of difficulties humans bring forward as they attempt to make life-altering changes. If you are interested in attending our upcoming or future groups, being a guest on the podcast, or looking to make a donation or help in some other way, please contact us through our website, www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca or find us on Facebook at Freedom's Path Recovery Society. If you are close to giving up, regardless of what your difficulty might be, please reach out to someone. You can always give up tomorrow, or maybe you won't have to. To anyone listening, imagine that your voice might be the only one someone hears inside their darkness. What is it you would like to say? As for me, I'm David Lurie, and I wish you all the best, wherever you are. Be safe and try to have some fun, because our time here is quite limited after all.